Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. For her, every day is November. Whitney Nelson. (laughs) Hello. And he is an FBI agent. Evan Wells. (laughs) How was that? Was that okay? That was a pretty good impression. you, You nailed it. Yeah. All right. Nailed it. Today, we are talking about River's Edge, a movie that Evan said that he was pretty excited about in our introductory episode. This is Keanu's fourth film credit this year alone. The IMDb synopsis for River's Edge is really straightforward. I kind of mm-hmm. love how much mystique is just in this. Yeah. A high school slacker commits a shocking act and proceeds to let his friends in on the secret. However, the friend's reaction is almost as ambiguous and perplexing as the crime itself. <laughs> wow. Wow. They nailed that. Yep. That's right. Pretty much exactly how I felt. Yeah. So this is also based on a true story. So yeah. this is the second in a row that we have Keanu being in something based on real life. What do we think about this? Did you guys take a look at the story behind this? I didn't I didn't look too close to the story behind this, no. No, I definitely saw in multiple places that it was based sort of very loosely on a true story. Yeah. Uh, but I did not look to see what the true story actually was. I think the the most important part of that synopsis is just how strange it was that everyone was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, he did that. Yeah. But then a couple <laughs> people were like, hold on. <laughs> right. This so, isn't yeah. okay. Right. But also didn't do too much. I, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have this movie directed by Tim Hunter, and the pattern holds true of every 80s director we've seen so far. He went on to have a career directing television series through the 90s, aughts, and right up till last year. He directed the Amazon series Bosch, other noteworthy projects Mm. he's worked on, Mad Men, Dexter, Hannibal. So pretty decent collection here and pretty much on point. Like He he actually leans into the darkness, it seems. So he's right (laughs) at home doing this. (laughs) Yeah. Co-starring alongside Keanu is Crispin Glover, Daniel Roebuck, Ioni Skye, and Dennis Hopper. Do we have any thoughts about these other actors? Anything noteworthy that you like them from? I I think I've seen Crispin Glover somewhere before. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Charlie's movie. Angels, he was the villain. <laughs> that might have been it. That's definitely it. <laughs> oh, poor Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah. Right. Typecasted. He's had so many, so many uh, crazy movies and so many weird leading roles and it's like mm, maybe the bad guy from charlie's angels that's yep. it that's what he'll forever be remembered by me as yeah. no i think uh to that point forever be i mean i could not stop seeing him from back to the future it was just that's true it felt like a carbon yeah. copy of his character marty's dad yeah absolutely absolutely yep I am quite fond of Ioni Sky from Say Anything, if you remember that, alongside mm-hmm. John Cusack. And obviously, Dennis Hopper, Keanu and Dennis get back together a little bit later. Mm-hmm. It's a movie we keep referencing. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like a critical mm-hmm. mass here for Keanu. It is. it is. It really is. So as Whitney mentioned at the end of our last episode, this is the first film with actual critical reviews. People went to go see this and actively reviewed it. Yes. Whitney, do you want to talk a little bit about the Rotten Tomatoes score, some of the critical reception here? Yeah, so we have a critical score of 86%, and 
and an audience score of 76%, which, after having seen it, I'm a little bit baffled by. Agreed. In which way? I'm sorry. I, I, I want a little bit of clarification. Which, w- which one baffles you the most? The audience or the critical? Well, they, they both baffle me. Okay. But I think that the audience reviews being less than the critical reviews is not what I would have anticipated. If I had mm-hmm. gone into this totally blind without Rotten Tomatoes open, like I would not be surprised by positive critical reviews, but I would not be... I, I was surprised that the overall critical response was better than the overall audience response on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's interesting. So we have a quote here that you pulled, Andrew, that I also noted, that Roger Ebert said, this is the best analytical film about a crime since The Onion Field and In Cold Blood. <laughs> Whoa. As a, those are two deep pulls, right? Yes. I had yes. seen In Cold Blood with my grandfather in my like late teens. And I have, prior to this poll quote, I have never even heard of The Onion Field. I had to look it up. I guess it's good. I did not watch it, though. (laughs) So, yeah, this is our, like I said, first movie where we have kind of like overwhelmingly positive vibes going into it. There's no (laughs) from critics and and just regular (laughs) folks alike. So, Evan, this was your most anticipated film. Does this movie work for you? How does it stack up to your memory of it? Yeah, uh, two very different questions. Um, <laughs> Answer I, both. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't recall when I first saw this movie. Uh, I want to say it was in college, um, but it's it it holds up, but it's very different from what I remember. And that's not to say like you know under the influence in college. It was just that I I guess I wasn't paying complete attention like I was this time around. And you're only, you know, when you're kind of mindlessly watching a movie, you're catching the loud parts or you're catching, you know, the the crazy parts or whatever. But um, seeing the full story actually end to end, it it, held, it 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 worked for me, but it definitely wasn't what I remembered. Interesting. Did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I did like it. Okay. Okay. Whitney, how about you? Did this movie work for you? Was it was it effective? I don't really know how I feel about this movie. Um mm. I don't know if it worked for me. I don't dislike it. I don't think it was a bad movie. Um, but I feel like the the pacing was so weird for me. Hmm. I feel like the way that they told the story. And I, I think part of that was on purpose to try and... I don't want to talk about the story before we talk about the story. But like, I think some of the pacing was intentional and some of it was not. I think some of it was poor storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the other stuff in it worked. And I think that the overall movie was, I was engaged the whole time. I thought it was very interesting. Um, but I think overall there was, it just, it, something didn't click for me. Okay. And had you seen this before? Or was I have this not your, okay, seen so it before, Okay, so you're coming in with fresh eyes. Yes. You, you too, Andrew, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, I'm in the same boat. This was the first of the movies that we watched where... And keep in mind that our first movie we watched was 28 Minutes. This was the first one that I watched where I didn't, like, pause it two or three times and Mm -hmm. go get a drink and then come Mm -hmm. back down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) come back with a snack or whatever. Yeah, no, I sat through and watched the whole thing all the way through. Yeah, I was in that same exact mindset. And I actually watched this twice because 
looking at the Rotten Tomatoes scores kind of skewed me, but I wanted to watch it just once without like taking notes just to watch it. And then the second time I kind of did a quicker rewatch where I like wrote some notes and I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I like this. I didn't like that. This was good. This was bad. I'm right there with you about the pacing. When this movie moves, it does. It moves quick. Mm-hmm. And then there are parts where I'm like, they could just drop this entire literally, thing. There's, literally, there's whole like 10 minute sections of the movie that could just be cut. Yeah. However, there are a lot of really cool plot devices. And I'm I, I'm assuming the two of you noticed them too. But there are like these really interesting parallels that the director and yeah. I guess screenwriter put together where there's like pairs of things like right two yeah. murders two funerals two like the, and i i noticed all those things and i'm like wow this is I, I really like that that's one of the things that kept me engaged i kept looking for like kind of little hints and things throughout the film so i, I thought a lot of it was really well done i think there was a couple times where those parallels were too heavy-handed where they were too clearly drawing a line between certain things that were happening. And we'll talk about that kind of as we get to there. I mm-hmm. think that some of them played super well and some of them did not play well for me because they were too, like, in your face. It's very We're 80s. drawing a parallel. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Do you see Don't it? miss it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then overall production of this, I thought it was, like, competently shot. I think the overall mood of the film, I guess mm-hmm. it's not... A spoiler to say, like, apathy is kind of a theme of this movie. I think the Mm -hmm. filmmaking matched it, like, in terms of, like, very muted colors, not a lot of fancy camera work, really. I I thought all of that was, like, thematically on point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually, I think, why this movie gets a better critical reception and why I think that this is maybe the first piece of entertainment, like, earliest in the timeline of anything that I've seen, TV shows, movies, anything, that sort of was the the Gen X apathy grunge before it was a thing. Like, we're still talking, we're smack dab in the middle of, like, pretty in pink John Hughes time. <laughs> yeah. And no one had was looking at teenagers this way at all. And then all of a sudden, of course, s- sort of in line with grunge becoming a thing and the satanic panic thing. Of, oh yeah, <laughs> you know the the early early nineties. This is the first thing that I've seen that sort of bridges that gap and starts to go into that that like what happens now when there's nothing to fight against, hmm. and what happens to like people in society when the teenagers don't have a war or don't have a whatever that they're going through. Yeah, and that's I think that's part of the reason why it's um, so notable is the way that they shot it, the way that they paste it the the people that they have cast in it this is the first thing in a you know obviously there's a long string of movies in the 90s and 2000s about gen x and and that kind of stuff and the apathy and the whatever but this is the first thing that kind of addressed it yeah you said something that i put just in my overall is like if i had to sum this movie up i said that this is the antidote to john hughes films Mm-hmm. You know, you take a like bright and colorful and happy characters and like, what are we, what's our music? And he's like, simple minds. That's what we're going to do. And in this one, it's like, no one really shows any emotion. And someone's like, what's the soundtrack? And the director's like, Slayer. It's all Slayer. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Do we have any other thoughts overall about this film before we get into the play by play? Andrew, I feel like you didn't really tell us flat out if it worked for you or not. I I enjoyed it. I I'll say this. I'll 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 caveat it. I am a person 
when I watch a movie that is dark, I feel that. So I tend to like stay away from dramas unless they are very, very compelling. So it did work for me, but it also bummed me out like big time. <laughs> so I, re I, I did like this movie. It's tough for me to recommend because, again, I'm like, I don't want to bum anybody out, but it does right. feel like something worth watching. So Got it. That's, what I'll, okay. that's what I'll say there. Yeah. All right. Well. So I want to talk about, and I, you guys tell me, when do we talk about Crispin Glover? <laughs> Do we talk about it when we start talking about the story, or do we talk about it now, or do we talk about it after? Maybe when he's when he's introduced. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm game for that. I have thoughts on. Chris. Yeah. I'm sure we all oh, have absolutely. thoughts. But well, I, have that, lots. Yeah. I have thoughts, but also when I was looking at reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff, it is literally the most polarizing part about this film. Oh, cool. Super when interesting. When you're looking at reviews and stuff, that Kristen Glover is the most polarizing thing about this film. So that's why I wanted to know when we wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I <laughs> I was telling Evan right before we started recording that I purposely tried my best to avoid reviews beyond just the pull quotes on Rotten Tomatoes because I didn't want that to like color my opinion of this or anything like that. Yeah, but I totally. am so looking forward to, after we finish here, going and reading reviews. Mm -hmm. There were ones mm -hmm. as late as like written a year ago about River's yes. Edge. And I'm like, that's yes. oh, that's going to be amazing. Like Thrillist and Vulture have yep. them. Right. Yep, yep, yep. There's a lot. There's People are, are still doing think pieces about it. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Vice has a it. piece from, I think, yeah, last year or 2017. Yeah. That is a sign of something. I'm not yeah. super <laughs> shit, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely... Mm -hmm. You, it's better than just fading into obscurity, right? So yeah. Yep. So are we ready to play by play? Sure. Just dive right in. Yeah, let's do it. Evan, this is your film. Take oh, us man. away. So much pressure. <laughs> I have to just call out the beginning of this. The font that they chose to use in the beginning of this movie really uh -huh. captured uh -huh. me right away. It kind of looked hand drawn. It was like me trying to do block letters in eighth grade. <laughs> But you gave uh, up like half like halfway through yeah. the first one, kind of. Like, yeah. How do you do an A? You know, like you just kind of stop. But right. um, so, but as you might expect, we're opening on a on a river, and it's this. It's interesting, right? Because it's this way out of focus, super over contrasted kind of background of a of a, the edge of a river or a river. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes a it takes the entire opening credits for you to kind of get that. Yeah, because it's it's super strange in the beginning, right? It's this weird presence, um, which was really good. And the music starts right away; it kind of puts you in that mindset of eerie. And and suddenly we we get introduced. The first character we're introduced to is Tim, right? This is um, this is meant to be Keanu's little shitty little brother. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> we don't know I'm that. We don't know it. that at this point. Oh my god. <laughs> we know it in like ten seconds, though. Yeah, oh, that's gosh. true. We know so soon because he decides that he's going to drop a doll in the water. And it's not, it's not like, um, there's, there is malice behind this. Yes. Right? There's, you can tell. They show the, the boy in contemplation right. being like clearly thinking, thinking deep, mean thoughts as he's about to drop this doll about whether or not he's going to drop this doll in the water. Yeah. And it's like bombs away. Doll is down. It's probably a 30 foot drop. And, uh, and then he, he, you know, as you, as you want it to happen, immediately runs to the other side of the bridge to kind of make sure that mm -hmm. it's still in the water. Maybe it's, maybe it's submerged now 
And and that really came across for me. Like they they captured that really well. It wasn't like he dropped it, deed is done, and he leaves. He followed up and he made sure that the doll was was still in the water. And what happens here is now we're very abruptly and strangely taken another direction to see this guy in the distance just shouting. Yeah, just screaming. Just screaming the top of his lungs. And um, you can't, I couldn't really ascertain if he was sad, if he was just losing his mind, if if potentially that was like a gleeful shout. It's really not, um, it's really not kind of told yeah. within mm-hmm. the context of his yell. Did you guys also kind of get like a confusing vibe there? It was like a woo, but yeah, I, I did not get any sense of any kind of feeling from it. I was like, I'm not really sure what is happening over there on the river's edge. (laughs) Uh, I was actually reminded, and this is such a pretentious thing to say, maybe I shouldn't even say it. Uh, I was reminded of Walt Whitman, who in one of his poems talks about being untranslatable and sounding his barbaric yop over the roofs of the world. Interesting. And I I was like, Yop. Yeah, I think he might have made up that. I don't know if he made up that word or not, but his the I sound my barbaric yop over the roofs of the world, and that's what it felt like to me. It was very much just like a uh, like a guttural animalistic like yell. Like it didn't huh. seem to have purpose behind it for for me other than just like being putting it out there in the world. Yeah, like I'm yeah. here. Like I exist. Yeah, yeah. interesting. That's yop. what it struck me as. Yop sounds like a word that would come out of Philadelphia. And- <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's Can why confirm. the bridge is that's why the bridge is named after him. Yeah. Yeah. Um but so then potentially one of my favorite shots in the whole movie takes place where uh Tim the little kid rides his bike into the fog on the bridge and and I guess we're we're meant to assume that he is either leaving or trying to get a closer look. I think he's leaving or he wants to get away from this screaming weird man, but I really thought that that was a beautiful shot. It's just straight down the bridge. And you just see him on his little huffy or whatever, yeah, riding right into this really dense fog, and it, it and that kind of closes that scene mm-hmm. um, from the bridge. And now, very suddenly, we are in it, <laughs> right? Because there is this. All of a sudden, your screen is just completely taken up by a, a very naked and and very dead uh, young woman just laying on the side of this river. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I wanted to comment on because. I thought that the amount of screen time that this dead body had was way too much in this movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't. I don't agree. Okay. I, I figured that they. I thought that they didn't have to show the entirety of this of this girl's dead body every time that they were referring to her being at this river. I figured they could have shown like her feet, you know, to to kind of convey we're back at this part of the of the river, we're back at this place where this where this dead girl is. They could have shown just her face, but they always made a point to show like all of her dead body. And, and I don't know. It didn't it didn't really work for me. It was a little off-putting. Whitney, why do you disagree though? I'm curious. Because it's off-putting. Okay. They did it because it's shocking, because she's so pale, because they show her full naked body, because they are showing that this is tragic and horrifying, and everyone's just, like, walking away. Yeah. And and I think they're doing it to unsettle the viewer as much and as often as possible, and to make us confront her because no one else is confronting her. 
But did it did it do that at the risk of like desensitizing the viewer as well to what it really was? That's exactly what I was going to say. Like the first time I watched it, I was shocked. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Like it was, you know, it's it's full nudity. Like that's what it is. And then every time they showed her again, it had less of an effect on me. Like it, the movie literally desensitized me to the fact that she was a person j- just throughout the course of it. And I was like, wow, well, done. like, and then I noticed, then I re- recognized it at the end when you, well, we'll get there. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that, that was very effective in yeah. doing its job. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that doing it the way they did it exactly told like was part of telling the story. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So at any rate, the guy who was yawping or <laughs> wooing or whatever he was doing, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna all go we with really, now. there is, yeah. he's obviously very close to this body. We're putting together the fact that he had something directly to do with this. Um, but in a very nonchalant manner, he kind of gathers up her clothing um, and kind of just leaves. He's just, he's gone. Uh, there's no remorse. There's no crying. There's no pain. It's just cleaning up the scene and, and leaving. He he looks a little dazed, and you can't tell if it's um, if he's drunk or if he's stoned or right. if he's just like in a daze. Yeah, but there's definitely like nothing happening on nothing. his face at all. No emotion, and and then we're we're now just randomly at an at, at an arcade. Here's Tim again <laughs> playing playing an arcade game. Well, he's not at an arcade. He's at an arcade game within a convenience store. And this man walks in, right, that we have seen uh, at the river's edge. And John, who we end up learning is his name, uh, Samson, I guess is his real name. Mm-hmm. Um, he he walks in and he's like, he wants a beer. So we're starting to get a little bit more of a picture of this guy. He's he's just left a, a potentially life-changing scene. Um, and now he's just kind of craving a, a beer. But he he can't buy it, right? He doesn't have his ID. It's pretty classic. And this can kid, I, go ahead. Can I just say one thing real quick before we yeah. move on? The convenience store clerk um, is played by Taylor Negron, who I knew in real life. He Whoa. is one of the best people that I've ever met. He passed away from cancer a couple years ago. Um, but he is an incredible person. But it was actually very weird for me. He's almost exclusively done bit part comedy roles in like sitcoms that was like his bread and butter he was in like two episodes of friends he was in episode of mad about you he was in an episode of this he was like in the 90s that's what he did was be a bit part on sitcoms and he is a hilarious comedian but it was so weird to for it took me a while to get back into the scene because i knew him i hung out with him i went to like parties at his house and stuff like that he's just just the best guy you could ever hope to meet very very huh. um, doing his own thing in sort of like a modern hippie way. Anyway, Taylor Negron was a clerk, and he's a cool guy. Solid. I yeah. did recognize him yes. um, in at least a, a small way. I was just like, definitely seen that guy well, he's before. He's one of those people that whatever you know him from, you're like, why do I know that guy? <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, it's exactly. always because he was on like one episode of Friends. <laughs> he's that guy. Yeah, it's the part in the movie where you turn to the person next to you and you're like, "That's the guy from." Um, that's... <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, Shut the hell up! I'm trying to watch <laughs> yeah. the movie. What is he from? I wanted to bring this up too because on my second watch, this was when I started to notice the the patterns of twos. So we we technically just watched two murders, and then these these people went to the same exact location. 
yep. to this convenience store. So yep. it, hmm. that's just like one so far. Is that seem to track with the both of you as well? Like mm-hmm. these pairs of things that, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. All right. And they're doing things that are seemingly very unrelated to the act that they've just performed. Yeah, yeah. like it doesn't even matter really. Like right. this guy's going to get a beer and then this kid's playing Pac-Man or whatever. So right. yeah. yeah, very interesting. So what ends up happening is this kid, I guess, sees this as an in, right? He's like, ooh, I can, I can befriend this guy <laughs> that I just saw next to a dead body yeah. by stealing some beer for him. At least that's how I took it. And so this kid like pockets two beers and and leaves the store while they're arguing about him not having his ID and and seemingly leaves him in his car. And now he's like waiting for this now disgruntled John to come out of the store so he can be like, hey, check out what I did for you. And 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 what we learn is the kid just wants dope. He just wants to get some drugs. So that it was a weird scene. The guy is so. It's like he expected those beers to be on that seat. I don't know yeah. if this was he didn't an acting react choice. To them being there yeah. at all. It was interesting if that was an acting choice or what, but there was no like, oh, sweet, this kid got me some beer. It was ju- this guy's just deadpan. Yeah, he it- just opened it and started drinking it. Like, oh, <laughs> got it. it yeah. This kid is twelve, by the way. The kid who stole the beers and, and wants the dope. It's right. It's, it's he's a, a little. It's a little unsettling. <laughs> he's a little punk. He no, is. this the he is by far the most shocking part of this movie for me. Yeah, You're, yeah, absolutely. Uh, very interesting role. So at any rate, the 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 guy John is like, all right, whatever, hop in. We're gonna go get you some dope. And ah oh, man, I got so uncomfortable when when little Tim is now going through the clothes that John took from the riverbank, and that and he's it, oh, it was so weird for me because he's prideful about finding like underwear in this guy's car yeah and Mm -hmm. i could not determine at all i don't know if you could if he knew the correlation between that being the dead girl's underwear or that just being underwear and it and that oh it made me so uncomfortable like why is this kid celebrating this piece of clothing so I don't know if either of you got that same feeling. It was weird and that John didn't even look over, right? He right. just kind of kept his eyes on the road and kept drinking a beer while driving. It was right. like, yeah, the whole it was like, ooh, he be jeebies here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um we get to a house which we determine is I, I still struggle with the name. Is it Feck? Like F-E-C-K? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cause the first few times they say it. I, I, I struggled for a second. I was like, what are, What was that word? <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say? Is this 80s again showing up? But it, it wasn't. It was just a weird pronunciation. Um, and, and it's a dilapidated house, right? We're meant to think that this is um, a hermit living in here who wants his privacy. But this guy's banging on the door and there's eventually no no answer. And that's where it kind of that's where it kind of stops. And we're into a whole new world of of finally seeing Keanu now. What are mm-hmm. we about 8 minutes into the movie and yeah and about uh that. here comes Keanu which um great introduction of Keanu. I really I really liked his intro. He's um you know, he's got this long almost shoulder length hair and maybe even at shoulder length and he's got uh this cool denim vest on with like a skull on the back and a peace sign spray painted over it. Um, and, and jeans, and it's just quintessential for me, kind of eighties, um, bad boy doesn't care, just really came across for me. 
And so we find out that he is actually the, the older brother of Tim. And it, it's a pretty sad scene where now we're starting to put together what this doll was all about, right? It's all about um, this kid, Tim, drowning his sister's doll. So it's like, man, he took this doll from his little sister, rode his bike all the way out to this bridge. Who knows how far away that was? Probably far. Just so he could drown it and then come back and tell her. We, we get the idea that he didn't, he didn't tell her ahead of time, like, I'm taking your doll and drowning it. Maybe he did. But it seems like that news comes out in this scene after it's happened. Um, and Keanu, like, loses his mind. But what did you guys think of kind of this um, intro of Keanu and being, like, the older brother? So we're getting the sense that the home life isn't great. Yeah. They, they lean pretty heavy on the, the dysfunctional. Yes. Real fast here. Yeah, mm -hmm. but he cares, Keanu at least cares about his little sister and maybe not so much about Tim, who he like throws yeah. into a wall <laughs> or something. Yeah. But you get the sense that like, oh, this is a person who, okay, he's got like, like you described, like the badass clothes, but, there, you know, maybe a little bit of a softy, at least when it comes to family, certain yeah. family yeah. members. Definitely. I think that they did a really good job of this scene telling the story of who Keanu Reeves' character is. Like, he's yep. clearly hardened. He's clearly gone through some shit. His family life sucks. His little brother is a shithead. And, but he kind of is the one taking care of his little sister, even at least a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And let's not discount the mom's boyfriend from upstairs yelling, trying to sleep like, yeah. the whole time. <laughs> What's his name? Jim, right? Jim, that's, it doesn't. Uh, that's who we're learning about. <laughs> that guy. That guy. He's uh, he's not a big part of the movie for probably the last, I don't know, 30 minutes. Yeah, but this scene definitely does set up well who, who Keanu Reeves' character is. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so he's interrupted by um, a, a car pulling in. And just to give credit where credit's due... The, the vehicle choice for this movie made me so excited. <laughs> Evan, you're so predictable. Oh, I know. It's just this, <laughs> like, picture the dune buggy style Volkswagen from back then. Um, you know, the big, like, uh, um, telescopic, if you will, uh, exhaust out of the back of the car. The rear engine's exposed, and they've kind of put the lights on the roof, and it's all beat up and big old knobby tires. Just was great. I thought that. I don't I don't know if it fit with the movie. I will admit that, but I really liked the car for what that's mm -hmm. worth. Because you know, we're getting close to, we're we're about to learn about Crispin Glover here. All the <laughs> everybody's so excited. <laughs> but I don't know if if that car fit what he was trying to convey as a character or maybe it did perfectly because he's like such a strange character. But yeah. I, I couldn't wrap my head around if it made sense for. At any rate, this is Lane. Lane has arrived um, to pick up Keanu. And this is our intro to Crispin and Whitney. I'll let you kind of start with your thoughts on this guy. <laughs> um, well, boy, did Crispin Glover work hard in this role. He went for yeah. it. He yeah. really went for it all in for sure. I don't. I don't know how I feel about it, which is actually why I, after I watched it, I was looking at reviews and specifically seeing all of the things that people were pulling out about Crispin Glover. But um, so he pops pills at one point, mm -hmm. which retrospectively, like they should have done that much earlier in the movie because clearly he's like a speed freak. 
but oh, they yeah. never explicitly say it until most of the way through the movie. Yeah, it's a good so point. So I think that that would make it a little bit easier to swallow how much he's just like chewing up the scenery. No and pun really, intended. Like, <laughs> 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 um, but he really every choice feels like a choice. Which is not great for acting when you want to kind of disappear into a role mm. and not pull people out of it. Mm-hmm. Every single thing that Chris Glover said pulled me out of it because I was like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It was distracting. Yeah, I found it very distracting. But that is literally the number one. If you look at any reviews, if you look at the think pieces from Vice or the AV Club or whatever, Slate has one, like all of the stuff from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Literally the number one most polarizing thing about this movie is whether or not you think Crispin Glover does a great job or a terrible job. And that just, that just, you know, totally wraps up your point, right? That, that, that it got that much attention that so many people are commenting on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what Winnie's getting after is that this guy Lane is, is a crazy person. Over the uh, top. When he shows up. (laughs) And, um, you know, you, you can't really, you can't really figure him out right away. So Crispin is here to pick up Keanu, um, or I should say Matt. And um, they start talking about chicks. Like, it's pretty classic. Um, just having a conversation between, like, two high school-aged guys. And they're now they're also at Feck's house. Uh, that's where they end up driving to. And they're trying to get in here. And uh, Lane just wants some joints. He's just like, hey. Feck is Feck is apparently like the guy to go to for dope. Yep. Also, he apparently doesn't charge anybody for it. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That is also which yeah. is the most unbelievable thing in this whole movie. That's a great point. But yeah. everybody calls it Feck's weed, <laughs> and it becomes like this phrase in the movie, like "ah, oh, mm-hmm. this is Feck's weed," and we start to think that he's like good at getting good weed or or whatever good is in in high school. And little Tim shows up, right? Tim is always just. Shitty little brother is always just like in the background everywhere. Yep. He's like this little, just knows where people are going, finds them there. <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy. He's always in the background. But it's, and it's so funny to me because it's like such a classic stereotypical, like shitty little brother that you can't get rid of. But also he's a psychopath. He's just yes. so full of rage and wants to just destroy right. everything around him. So it's it's way worse than just a normal shitty little brother that you can't get rid of because it's like he might stab me in the eyeball for no reason. <laughs> right. so definitely right. he can't come along. Yeah. yeah. He's the shitty little brother who, and he's also like the Joker also. Yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. He's got like plans. It's really weird. And and that is definitely that's funny. That's exactly putting the point on it. This kid seems to have more of a plan than anybody else in this movie for the entirety of the movie. He's yeah, always true. up to something. He's military in that way. He's just like always has to have <laughs> an outcome planned. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but potentially we're introduced to another uh, kind of parallel here, Andrew, around Feck. When we meet Feck, he starts explaining that he's hiding because he killed a girl. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, is it a, it's foreshadowing, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty obvious that we're starting to put together this interesting future state parallel for John, who we met earlier. Um, so they're they're doing a good job of kind of doing that within the movie. And then suddenly we're at school. 
and we're introduced to Keanu's. So I just want to real quick, while we're before we get go into like school and and the <laughs> the next part of the story. So our introduction to Dennis Hopper is him playing a saxophone for an inflatable doll. Oh yeah, <laughs> I should say that's feck. Yeah, with yep. with one false leg. Yes. I was when I was looking at reviews after the fact, um, and now I can't remember who it is. Oh, NPR said that the movie River's Edge needed to take Coco Chanel's best advice. And so Coco Chanel said, every day when you get dressed, you should look in the mirror and then take one thing off. (laughs) And they're talking about this movie needed to take some stuff off before it left the house. Right. Wow. And when it's talking about it, so it talks about Crispin Glover quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but then it talks about Dennis Hopper. And they they say, the second problem is the character of Feck, played by Dennis Hopper. Feck is the local pot supplier and Lane's pal, and here are his notable qualities. One, he socializes with a blow-up doll. Two, Mm -hmm. he has only one leg. Three, he plays the saxophone. Four, he once killed a woman. (laughs) It is way, way, way too much, even for Dennis Hopper. And even for Dennis Hopper is italicized. Either the blow-up doll or the artificial leg on the reclusive drug source. Not both. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. right. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. That's a good good way to put it. He's he's also a terrible saxophone player. <laughs> uh, absolutely awful. All awful right. at playing saxophone. All right. So now we're at school. <laughs> now we're at school and we're introduced to Matt's friend group. And um, you, you're getting, you're really kind of getting thrown right into the fact that no one cares about classes. They're a bunch of Slackers getting stoned on the high school. Yeah, and they they want to get out of there. They're like, we need to leave. We need to not be here anymore. It's not enough to not be in class. They have to not be <laughs> in, in the, the vicinity, <laughs> right? Yeah. Of school yeah. in general. Yeah, right. And now John shows up. John is now um, a, we understand as part of this friend group, and in the most nonchalant way, almost bragging, he admits to killing this girl who we we learn her name is Jamie. Yes. So crazy. There that was that was a turning point for me in this film where it, it solidified who this guy John was. He's careless, he's super nonchalant, things happen and his life just continues on. So that was that was pretty wild how they almost reintroduced John for me at that moment in the movie. Yeah. I'm I'm reminded of the phrase uh relevant now as it was then. When people tell you who they are, believe them. <laughs> yeah. Because they none of everyone's like, you're crazy. Right. <laughs> Classic like, what kind John. Of crazy joke is this? And yeah. if someone showed up and deadpan like told me I killed a person, that's why they're not at school today. I would maybe do the same thing, but the second that he says, No, really, I would be like, wait, what? <laughs> right. And they did not. They were just right. like Get out of here, you. And they right. all walked away. You rapscallion. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, John. <laughs> like, I definitely would not assume that someone had murdered someone if they were my friend yeah. off the bat. But the second that he's like, no, seriously, guys, I did kill this person. <laughs> and that's why she's not here today. If I had a friend that looked like that guy, though, I probably would believe him. the Because fr- clearly no, he was like, he's probably two beers in at this point yeah. also. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. This guy, he's got problems. Something bothered me about this scene. And I don't know, Andrew, you, you may have picked up on it just because of kind of your background. Mm. Um, but the the reverb 
in the audio in the scene. Did you pick up on that? It almost felt like it was pre-recorded. Yeah, I think it was. It sounded it. I did. I have a note here about it sounding weird and it doesn't. I did not catch it again for the rest of the movie. But in this scene specifically, yeah, there's maybe some like bad ADR that was happening or something like that. it's, It's always ADR when that happens, whenever anyone's like. It's notable that the sound is weird. It's because someone did bad ADR. Yeah. yeah that, not good. Not good. <laughs> Listen for it, audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun part of the movie. Um, so then John is like, all right, whatever. You guys don't believe me? I'll take you. I'll take you to see this body. Um, and so this is now Matt and Lane go with him, right? I think. That yeah. Was... The girls are gone Yeah, because one of the girls is hot for a teacher so she doesn't want to miss that class <laughs> oh, the, right. but but the guys get in the car and go with john to see the body yep and we learn that they have some history in their friendship right and that lane is a pretty protective friend he wants to take care of everybody well especially john and that they have to come out with a way come up with a way to help john like yeah so lane pretty quickly establishes himself in this movie as the leader of the group which is the second most unbelievable thing other than fact not taking any money for his talk. <laughs> because lane is a off the wall not so speed freak there's no way that a group of uh, disaffected 16 year olds 15 year olds are going to let lane be the one who decides things Right. He's the one with the car, so... Well, oh, that's, that's a good fair. point. That's a Great fair point. point. <laughs> the, one who, the one with the wheels... Uh, yeah, that's my only counter-argument. Has, has everything a else, amount of say. I agree with everything else you said, except that he has a car. <laughs> he's also fair pretty enough. heavy. He's pretty heavy-handed as well. Like, he, he definitely, like, forces himself on everybody. Well, and for a bunch of disaffected people, he has a lot of opinions that no one else seems to have. So that's also right. possibly why, but... He starts planning how to like get alibis or do whatever. Um, when he, as soon as he sees the body, he's like, "All right, now we've got to deal with this and figure out what we're gonna do." Yeah, for he's level-headed for the first time in this movie. It's kind of weird that I think maybe every so we we come back to see this body. Well, we this is our first encounter with it, and then there's another encounter with it, and it's it's interesting that like both times I think a line is thrown out there. We're like, "Well, that's not real." Like, right. They think I, it's a dummy. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just felt so strange to me. I don't they know. They like poke was, it or kick it or. That's what, yeah. Someone, po- he poked it with a stick, right? And then someone mm-hmm. kicks it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you a, a lot of reference into who these people are. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and now we're back in class and there's a debate happening. So. Uh, this was a pretty, pretty funny part for me that I requested that we pull the audio for because we learn about this uh, inevitable, like nerdy character that they have to introduce in the movie who is who's debating with the teacher. Um, and I guess their argument was around like standing up for yourself as a society. Right. Like um, yeah, it was about radicals. Right. Um, but there's th- this this dweeb, if you will, in the class who's. I think his name is Kevin. Yeah, it was Kevin. It's Kevin. Um, and he tries to make a point, and he's immediately shut down. Andrew, do you have that? There was a meaning in the madness, a clear and a real purpose. But don't you think violence is wrong? Oh, fuck off, Kevin. Wasting pigs is radical, man. <laughs> <laughs> radical. I just, yeah, I love that they use the word radical. I needed to hear that in this movie. Um, 
But we don't actually know that voice of of the guy that's you know saying wasting pigs. We we don't really get too much of his character. He's kind of just uh, he's part of the friend group, but he's on the fringes. I think. Yeah. But I just thought that was a a hilarious part of of this movie. It's a good line. So we're we're in the school and we start yeah. to see the murder story is kind of spreading. Yeah. A oh, right. A little bit. Yep. It's getting around. Um, and then they're like. He still feels like he needs to prove to people that he did murder her, uh, which is crazy. So Mm -hmm. now he has to take the girls, too, because the girls haven't seen the body and the girls don't (laughs) believe him. Yeah. And And so now they got to go borrow Mike's truck. Yeah, they got to go get this truck from this guy that works in a fast food joint. And again, Lane is like the guy that's leading the charge. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes into the restaurant where this guy's working, one of his friends, I guess. And he's like, we need your truck. We have to have your truck, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And initially, I was of the mind that they wanted the truck to relocate the body. That's um, what I thought. Yeah. Which may have, like, secondarily been, but it wasn't at all. What they depicted was it was just a way to get a bunch of people out to where the body was. (laughs) Right. Get in the back. When they're going out to the truck, they convince this guy. Timmy shows up. and Mm -hmm. Of course. That's what they're doing. And he's, like, going to see the body? And it's like, this 12-year-old just corroborated the whole thing, and people still <laughs> don't believe it's happening. <laughs> this, yep. Right. And, and then they, they tell him, in no, you know, no small terms, like, fuck off. <laughs> We're going without right. you. And again, it just builds this kid's case, <laughs> really. Like, he's like, oh, okay. I see how it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's one and more have, TV encounter. <laughs> I have an all caps now, after they're all going out to see his body, in all caps, no one is even considering police. And <laughs> at least not yet. But I, I, I've been sitting here in this movie. I'm just like, how, is, how are none of these kids, these high school kids, scared enough and are triggered in a way that's like, I know from childhood, from everything I've learned up till now, that if I see something like this, I should take X action. And I mean, maybe it was just me in, in some sort of sheltered upbringing but I feel like most people should be wired to think, oh, that's a dead girl. That's a dead friend of mine. Yes. I should get authorities involved. Well, I mean, that's the whole crux of the movie. That's the whole reason that this movie exists, because it's not about the girl. It's not about the murder. It's not even about him, what he's going through as a murderer. It's about no one reacting. It's about the youth being too disaffected to even know what to do or how to help. Even if they wanted to, what would they do? Right. But also most of them talk about not even knowing what to feel or if they're feeling anything at all. Yeah. Or was it also because they needed they needed Keanu's character to be the one to do it? Probably a little bit, I would say, because they've already painted him as maybe one of two people who have an inkling of of caring, giving a shit about anything, really. So, yeah, it could have been a plot thing, but I I definitely agree that it was like I mean, but all like if, if you if you had to say in one sentence what this movie is about, what would you say, Evan? Um, oh boy, I'm on the spot. From IMDb, a high school slacker committed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a little bit of camaraderie here at play, so. The inability for a friend group to um, do the right thing in a very terrible situation. Hmm. Interesting. Because I feel like I like the whole thing. It never took I was never surprised by the fact that like no one talked about calling the cops. No one 
considered calling the cops. No one, because that's what this movie is about. Like, it is about, it is a, like a thriller about aimless youth. Right. Like, the, the, the villain is not the murderer. The villain is not whatever. It's that the children don't care. Yep. Okay. This is for people who are like 30 who want to look at the 15-year-olds of the 80s and be like, the world is going to shit. Okay. <laughs> and that's why they didn't go to the police. Is because that's what the movie's about. You don't have that like plot through line. There's no reason to tell this story if it's not for the fact that no one needs to feels the need to get the authorities involved. Got it. Yeah, kind of a sin of indifference almost. Yes, exactly. A sin of indifference is a great way to put it. Yes. Um, that's totally totally fair. <laughs> I must have just come into this with a different uh, general <laughs> view of high school kids. At any rate, at the at the scene, there's a little bit of of well, we Keanu's not there, right? He's like, no, I don't want to go back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's they're showing him pretty preoccupied in a classroom instead of going out there. And now there's like a fight at the at the crime scene, if you will, yes. about what they Lane, should do. Lane's like, we got to bury the body, we got to do whatever, and everyone's like, no, I'm just gonna leave. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, I'm out of here. Right. Which which is fair. Um, and. The next scene is pretty terrible where we're seeing shitty Timmy um, (laughs) shooting, I guess, crawfish in a bucket. In a barrel. Literal fish in a barrel, right? Fish in a barrel. (laughs) It's like, man, they really are just doubling down on this this character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a terrible person. Um, And Keanu shows up and he's like, give me that gun. Hides the gun. And then we start, we get a, a, a truer introduction to the mother of the movie, mm-hmm. um, who's all over the place. She's an absolute wreck. She just has no control over her kids. She doesn't seem to be in a healthy relationship. And, and they're really just depicting a woman who's kind of like on her last legs as it relates to life. Yeah. That was, I think that, that was a good continuation of kind of what we saw before. And and then they they double down again on Keanu kind of being a good brother, right? That he's um, just like comforting and filling a void. He he he'll be he'll be like a, he'll be a, an asshole teen up to a up to a point, and then at times he'll kind of drop back and maybe apologize or comfort his little sister or try to set his shitty brother straight. And so there's this interesting um, kind of complexity to his character a little bit there. And then so we move on, and and now they're back at an arcade uh, with Lane, and they're you know obviously now the big topic of conversation is John all the time. Well, we have we actually have audio of right before in the arcade here of some pretty disturbing thoughts from Lane. If you would like to hear them, oh yeah, yeah let's, absolutely. Let's, let's introduce people to what Crispin Glover is like in this movie. Yeah, pretty, pretty great. <laughs> so what's gonna happen? put another quarter in this machine and murder it. No, no, with John and all. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to tie up a few loose ends tonight and uh, nothing's going to happen. That's it? He murders Jamie and we just ignore it? <laughs> he had his reasons. She was shooting her mouth off about his mom. His mother's dead. Yeah. See? He's got a couple loose springs when it comes to dealing with his dead mother. <laughs> yeah, he had his reasons. He did, and it's just justifications left and right from Lane. 
kind of drove me crazy. But yeah, so this this is enough for Clarissa, who are listening to in that scene, to be like, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so they're walking to this pay phone to make a phone call, which we're meant to believe is probably to call the police. Hilariously, they get up to the phone and she doesn't know what number to dial. <laughs> Should we try the operator or? Right. That's kind of the reason that they don't go through with it, I guess. Uh, I mean, no, that's not the reason they don't go through with it. (laughs) That's what they try to. They try to blame it on that. Her friend dials. Her friend dials the operator, and Clarissa just as soon as someone it starts to ring, she hangs up because she's just scared about talking to anybody. Yeah. and having this conversation of turning her friend in. So she hangs up before I think the operator probably even answered. Right. But any sane person would have dialed 911, right? Am I crazy there? <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but it seems like 911's the, the thing to go to there. Right. And so now we're, we're at another parallel here, uh, Andrew, your favorite, which is um, this, the little sister of Keanu is now having a funeral for her doll. Yeah. And... Um, it was a pretty sad scene, all in all. I thought it mm-hmm. was pretty pretty well captured. Just this very simple uh, little ceremony, and and she's trying to do her. She's so serious, and she's so interested in getting it right. And I, I don't know. I thought it was really a nice little a nice little scene. But Andrew, what did you think here from a parallel perspective around the timing of kind of the doll funeral in the grand scheme of the movie? This is super interesting for a couple of reasons because it's it's part of a pair of things that happen but then it's also in stark contrast to mm-hmm. other things that happen mm-hmm. almost directly around it. Uh-huh. So these people go to see a body they're totally you know, like oh wow that's something and clearly she's very upset about the loss of her doll gives it a funeral and then in just like another scene or two we see Lane dispose of the body by just kind of rolling it into the river so you have this a lot of interesting language just told visually throughout this movie it was really really well done Timmy yep. shows up and ruins it God. again it's another thing that happens throughout the whole movie but uh, and and you start to see this is my favorite part of the movie is the scene with the funeral yeah with the doll funeral because you see Keanu Reeves start to sort of like like he stays out longer at the doll's grave uh, mm-hmm. than even the little sister does. And you can see him start to, A, question why he's feeling more for his little sister, sister's doll than this person who is his friend. Yeah. And, how again, like you said, the sister caring and doing something and wanting a ceremony and wanting to mark it and wanting to make it a big deal. Uh, and no one is doing that for this girl. And it's really sort of the turning point for Keanu Reeves on whether or not he is going to do anything about this um, that sort of sinks in at this doll funeral and i think it's it's really really well done it's, it was definitely my favorite part of the movie yeah absolutely then we we move to a point where lane and john are, are talking and we get this other depiction of john where he's now a caregiver he's now taking care of his elderly aunt who may have some sort of dementia or similar and um she wants him to read to her uh and 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 john's like absolutely right he's just he's very interested in in kind of uh, helping his aunt and making her feel good. And, and to the point where he 
turns down Lane, who's trying to get him to come help. They're going to go get rid of the body. Yeah. And <laughs> and John's just like, no, I got to I'm reading tonight to my aunt. It's right. Just I've got more important off. things to do. Yeah. And so Lane is uh, is like, fine, I'm going to do it myself. And, and as Andrew just mentioned, he goes out there and he he just simply rolls the body into the river, which is another parallel because that's how the doll died. Yep. There it is. So. That's so funny. I didn't even think about that until just now. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Anytime. So, Nailed yeah. it. So, <laughs> high five. John is like, hey, thanks, Lane. I'll get you a six pack <laughs> of uh, Budweiser. There's a lot of sixers in this movie. There, there is. Are. It's like currency to these people. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's warm Budweiser, which was just a, a hilarious part. I think Andrew, you had a clip of this actually. You don't even care, do you? I ain't drinking it. About yourself, you dumb fuck. How do you expect other people to care about you? It's people like you that are sending this country down the tubes. No sense of pride, no sense of loyalty, no sense of nothing, man. Why do you think there's so many fucking welfare cases in this country? Why do you think it is that Russia's gearing up to kick our asses, man? Drink your beer, Lane. No, I won't drink my fucking beer. I'm talking here. These things are important to me. And believe it or not, you're important to me. Crazy. Uh, so if you go to YouTube and you search hilarious acting Crispin Glover, <laughs> that scene comes up. <laughs> wow. Nice. I yeah. love it. I'll yeah. say that the so when I first watched this, I thought not good, uh-huh. not good at all. Uh huh. Painful to watch. Yeah. Really, really bad. Uh-huh. And then the second time I watched it, I did not hate it as much. I'm not going to go ahead and say that I loved it. Yeah. So that's the thing when I talk when I said that they needed to show Crispin Glover popping pills earlier in the movie. I think the understanding of him being a speed freak and being off the wall is part of his personality, but also is part of, like, he's the only one on this drug, I think puts it into a context that you don't see before. Hmm. Yes. That's great. He kind of, for me, I'm, I'm not crazy about the character of Lane, but the concept of him is yep. very interesting as really the only person who cares. The fact that he's on speed kind of like undercuts that a little bit, but mm-hmm. he is like a very passionate person surrounded by people who feel nothing. Yep. So yeah, this this scene, again, it's way over the top, but on rewatch, it worked a little bit better for me. Yeah. Interesting. For me, it's just that like, Knowing that uppers, like, do amplify your your emotions and your whatever. I definitely agree with you that, like, having him be showing the drugs early on would undercut some some emotional stuff. But I think it would just make it understandable for me why Crispin Glover is acting the way that he is. Yeah. Because, like, when I'm watching this scene where he cares about a bunch of stuff and he's doing whatever, and all I can see is, God, this is garbage. <laughs> right. <laughs> If I knew that he was doing it because of drugs, but like I, I would I would start listening to the words and stop paying attention to how he's delivering them. Yeah, he's definitely like he 
at this point in the movie, again, you don't figure out that he is on drugs for maybe another hour, really, like yeah, in some scene that could certainly be cut, but was probably put in just for this reason. So you're like, here's a strung out kind of weirdo. He's the only one who has this bizarre accent again. It's just like, why does mm-hmm. he talk this way? I can understand why this character is so polarizing and so talked about. It yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right after that scene, almost, they, they see police outside of John's house. Yeah. And they're like, uh-oh, we got to get John out of here. Um, and apparently, simultaneously, what, we're, what we learned soon thereafter is that this was Keanu's doing, right? Yeah. He, he went and told detectives about the whole thing, and now Keanu is leading them to the river's edge. <laughs> to <What>? show them... <laughs> To show them uh, the body, you know what's hilarious in my wrote in my notes. I'm such an asshole. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote River Bank. <laughs> Classic Evan. Oh my god. But anyway, so obviously she's not there. But I was so I was so glad that they find her body because I really didn't want it to go that way. I really didn't want them to put Keanu as like. This boy who cried wolf and, and then, you know, then where was the story going to go? Like they were never going to find Jamie again. I was very glad that they ended up finding her body like, you know, 100 yards away. Yeah. She was within like flashlight range to put it in perspective. Like someone's like, what's that over there on the other side? And they're like, oh, there she is. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so now the detectives have Keanu and they're just questioning him and and really almost trying to like force a. Uh, either trying to scare him or trying to get him to admit that he did it yeah, or both. And when Keanu wises up a little bit, he's like, I don't have to be here. But they they end up keeping him there by kind of scaring him with an accessory uh, charge. So he, he kind of cools off and sticks around. I, I should say that I thought Keanu did a good job there. That's kind of the scene that I remember most from this movie, from watching it before, was his questioning and was... That whole thing where he's like really getting pushed into a corner and he freaks out and he's just like very blunt and he's trying to be he's trying to be a good guy. He's trying to he's trying to get across to this detective that like, hey, I brought you this. Yeah, I I helped. Why are you coming after me? And I thought that was really well done there. I thought the best part of that scene was the do you want me to make something up? Yeah. Yeah. When the detective's like, you have to be feeling something. Oh, you're. Clearly an accomplice because you feel nothing. And he's like, I'm not an accomplice, but I don't feel anything. I will make something up if you want me to. I just yeah. can't tell you what I'm thinking or feeling because I don't know. Yeah, right. just facts, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there she is. That's who she was. And so now now we're back with Feck, who is oh so creepily dancing with his blow-up doll. And we, we, we basically find out that Lane wants to hide John with Feck. Um, which is just great, right? The putting those two together, right? We saw that foreshadowing before. It's like, yep, this makes sense. Yeah. And they they start comparing murder stories, which was so unsettling, <laughs> so incredibly unsettling. But it's kind of a trend within their relationship as it progresses through the rest of the movie that they're always talking about what they did. And so we have we're back with uh, Keanu getting picked up by his mom from the police station. Then we get to a, a scene that I really wanted to happen from the introduction of, of Jim's voice is Keanu and Jim kind of having this battle. <laughs> oh, man. This was the this is the part that I laughed out loud at. <laughs> I have this 
the best mm-hmm. insult that I've ever heard in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> Are you ready? I bet you even know where he's hiding, don't you? They were caught don't give me that phony surprise shit, because I know something's up. Your fucking punk friend's been calling here all night, huh? What, he helped you kill the poor girl? Damn. Maybe he did. Maybe I am a killer. Why should you care? You just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food. Matt. Oh, he moves! You're a little fucking asshole. Try something Jim, Jim. Motherfucker, Matt. food eater! Say, I'm gonna shove that <laughs> in Come on, come on, come on! You're out! Come on, hit me, go ahead. Hit, hit me! <laughs> yeah, you food eater. And then he's kind of talked over, but he says, I'll shove it up your ass. You'd probably like that. Yes. That was just another nice little dig right there. <laughs> yeah, food eater. <laughs> oh, the, man. Those insults were in reverse order. They, I mean, it was funnier the way that was delivered, but really should have been food eater, motherfucker. But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it works. It works better this way. One moment of levity in this movie right there. Do you think uh do you think that was scripted the food eater? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. what? I do. Be... <laughs> I do. I think that was spontaneous. Like the best he could come up with, like the writers like what's like a really just base I mean, level insult just like cuts to the core of the matter. Get He's this a guy. food eater. He eats my mom's food. Oh my god. <laughs> um okay, so after their fight we, uh, Andrew alluded to earlier, we see that Tim has ruined um, the little girl's grave, the little doll's grave, I should say. Yeah. And Keanu's like, I got to find him. The brother comes home and then he like tries to escape. And then Keanu kind of like, he beats him up, right? He like yeah, punches he him, he like punches, punches him, backhands yeah. him or something. Then Tim leaves to his silent friend's house and says the <laughs> f- following lines. My fucking brother. Go get your nunchucks in your dad's car. I know where we can get a gun. <laughs> New ringtone. Oh my god. <laughs> Go get your nunchucks so that we can get a gun. Yeah. You know, it's just, just yeah. don't bring nunchucks to a gunfight, is kind of what I thought of there. <laughs> right. You're my backup <laughs> in case the gun goes wrong. We oh, got the man. chunks. Yeah, so they're they're gonna it, basically they're talking about going to Fax House to get Fax gun. And now an interesting part here where Lane gets Keanu, who's like walking the street and Lane is like, man, who who ratted out John? And so, you know, Keanu's in this he's stuck, right? He's in this pretty uncomfortable situation. And so now there's like this this the sequence of Lane going to find all the rest of the friends and like get (laughs) gas money from everyone. Yes. Because he wants to drive John away, I guess is he's still on this idea that he's going to get John out of town. Was it is it Portland that was mentioned? Am I making this up? I feel like sometimes I'll... I don't remember actually. No, Portland was definitely brought up at one point, but I thought it was earlier in the whole Easy Rider. We got to get out of this town thing. Got it. Okay, so it wasn't a serious suggestion, but I think that that's the plan: is like get everybody together and then get John out of town or something yep. along those lines. He's got to get out of here. Yeah. So they go to Clarissa's house. They try to get some gas money. They take Clarissa. They go to Tony's house to find Tony. But Tony's dad is like, nope, get out of here. Shoots at them. Yeah, what happened? What was going on? He just gets a shotgun and tries to kill them. That was a great scene, though, where the dad was like, oh, yeah, give me one second. I'll go get him. (laughs) And he comes back with like a 12 gauge. Psych. (laughs) Right. And just shoots at him. I thought that was hilarious. And Clarissa, you know saves a day, drives everyone away. 
away from the crazy Tony's dad. Tim is now at Fex with his silent friend. And uh, John is there who now randomly has a cat. And again, I got very concerned that John yeah. was going to do something terrible to the cat. It's like, please don't put that in this movie. <laughs> Would have been bad. <laughs> right. But they let the cat go. And John and Feck are still kind of learning each other a little bit. They're, he's asking him about his blow-up doll. He's asking him about, like, how he lost his leg. And then they, they determine that they're kind of, like, out of beer and that they need to go get some more beer. Yeah. Unfortunately, Whitney, they, like, once again, double down on all the things that Feck shouldn't be in that scene. Mm-hmm. Except for the saxophone. <laughs> yeah, they, they tell the story of the leg. They tell the story of the doll. Right. So he's not nearly as controversial as Crispin Glover, but there is also a lot of conversation about about this role and about Dennis Hopper and, and, and how his character is so over the top. But the overall consensus seems to be from everyone, including myself, that he really brought so much Dennis Hopper to the role that it actually still plays like for being super over the top of like a one-legged blow up doll girlfriend, having saxophone playing girlfriend killer (laughs) that there's actually still like something to relate to there. And um, that he's engaging to watch and he's not, he's crazy, but I mean like that's Dennis Hopper usually chooses roles that are a little bit crazy but the, he, he's still so interesting to watch. And, like, the more that you start to get to know the character, the more that you actually like this weird hermit guy. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, I so I think it's very interesting because even though they do go more into all of those things that the character did not need at all, he is a very, very human character. And he's more human than most of the kids in this movie, which is, I think, part of the reason why he's in there. Um, yep. Is that he has a lot of feelings about a lot of stuff. I will say his reactions to the things that John says, and this point john starts monologuing it's not super important the content of it but it's disturbing to say the least he says something about like he blacks out when he's in a fight and he just wants to kill the other guy or something yep and it cuts back to dennis hopper a couple times and you're seeing that he's he's disturbed by this right and that's you're like okay so he's almost at that point like an audience surrogate a little bit you're like okay you you see that this guy's crazy too right it's not just us (laughs) so we get out of that Weird scene. And we are now in the back in the Volkswagen, right? And the all the, the we have Clarissa, Keanu, and 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 Crispin all together. And they're talking about, you know, what they're gonna do and all this stuff. And the only thing that I remembered from that scene is Keanu singing the Mission Impossible theme in the back seat. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. It was so bad. Um and it was so random. And obviously Lane gets like pissed off and he screams at him and, and and you know he's just and clarissa's like i don't i don't want anything to do with this and so they get her out of the car and keanu's like you know we're not leaving her in the middle of nowhere so he gets out too uh, and lane leaves angry you know this is a scene where keanu and clarissa are, are getting to know each other and it, it was interesting to me because if you remember from the earlier in the film we didn't really mention it but lane told keanu like don't go anywhere near clarissa and it was uh they, they never really said why I think it, I don't know if, if Lane thought she was like bad news or if mm-hmm. Lane liked her, but it was interesting how they they, they kind of just put it all together here. And now they're obviously having like some kind of romance as they're walking home. And then there's a kiss and they go to this park to spend the night in the park. Looking uh, at the stars. I, I will say Keanu did better on this kiss, maybe just because it was so far away from them. <laughs> 
That was a wide shot, yeah. The shot was pretty <laughs> wide. Um, but we didn't see the weird, like, upper lip eating that he likes to do. <laughs> and, uh, and so Lane goes back to Fex, and no one is there. And we see that John has, like, reached a fever pitch because he wants beer so badly that he's holding a gun to the guy, the attendant that we saw before. There's a lot of, like, back and forth here. Like, Lane is, is trying, is, is, like, losing his shit at Fex. He breaks, he, he breaks in. But he leaves, right? And then the kids just break in right after him. Yeah, the yeah the overlap is interesting. Lane arrives. The kids are there. He kicks the door down, right? And then it cuts to, like you said, they're in the uh, John and Feck are at the convenience store where Keanu is getting beer for his romp in the park. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah, that's so right. So there's all these interesting kind of cross sections happening of all of the characters here, sometimes unbeknownst, really. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of cool. The kids find weed. They find the dope at Fex. <laughs> Did you guys just, uh, you know, I'm not a drug expert, but when they... That was definitely moss and yeah, not they opened, Yeah, they opened a treasure <laughs> chest a full of moss. thousand percent of, like, floral from a craft store moss. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. 100%. They were like, super jazzed about, you know, these craft Smoke, supplies they smoking found. Smoking some, some Florida Plastic. swamp moss. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I'm glad I I'm mean, not the only one. Good. That's Fex weed, you know? We don't know what kind of crazy. <laughs> so special. <laughs> then John goes like real nuts and he breaks into a store, like shatters a window, goes into the store and gets additional ammunition for the six shooter that they've been carrying around. And they just take off. And again, we see Feck kind of like, wow, that was way too easy for you to just break into the store and steal some bullets. Like... Who am I hanging out with? <laughs> uh, we go back to Keanu and Clarissa in the park. Um, and Keanu finally confesses to her like what, that he, he was the, the narc. And I thought this was a great monologue from Keanu. Like this scene where he is talking about that. I thought it was good acting and I thought it was like well written for him. And then Lane is like still searching for John and... We find out that it's that John and Feck have made their way to the river's edge. Once again, coming back. I didn't write bank this time. <laughs> <laughs> the river uh, bank, I guess. <laughs> this is just like uh, John and 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 Feck are just kind of continuing to 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 swap stories. Feck is getting more and more concerned about John, and John is just like a crazy person at this point. He's shouting again. He's yawping because yeah. he likes to hear his echo. Firing the gun into the distance, like across yeah. the bank. Like someone's like, hey, shut the hell up. And he like just fires a gun in the yep. direction of the sound. <laughs> it's like, yep. whoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feck starts talking about why he killed the girl that he did way back yes. when. And it's uh, it seems like it was a a, a love murder. So I'm, I'm curious. We haven't got, quite gotten to this point yet in the in the story, but... At one point in this sort of montage, Dennis Hopper says something about not supposed to get old. Well, Eddie's sort of crying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is he I wrote that down. About, yeah. Is he talking about himself or the girl that he killed or the blow up doll? Well, I mean, in the movie, he's very clearly speaking to the doll, but we don't really know what he's actually referencing. Right. But what do you guys do you think that he is? Did he kill her because she was like sick or something or whatever and he didn't want her to age anymore is that why mm. he killed his girlfriend 
Yeah, this was the most interesting part of that line was the most interesting part of the movie that is never explained. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, we hear him talk about it like I did it for love. Yes. But with no they don't detail. Explain. So, so you don't know if it's like a she started cheating on him with someone else and didn't want anyone else to have her or something like that. But then the later on when he says not supposed to get old, I don't hear the beginning of that. So I don't know if he says she wasn't or I'm not or you aren't to the doll. Like the doll is starting to crack from age or something like that, which is reminding him of his dead girlfriend. Yeah. It's very unclear, but... Um, I thought that was interesting because it brings it back because I was so intrigued by the killing her for love and not explaining what that meant. I briefly thought if they had like some sort of weird like uh, Romeo and Juliet thing going on, like if we can't be together, then we won't be in this world at all. Like, yeah, that's that was really one of the cooler parts of this entire story. And it's just told like with an off the cuff line. I really, really like that. Yeah, there, it's definitely um, a part of the movie where we're seeing a softer side of Feck because you'll uh, – a little bit before that, I think, he also says something to John about being his friend where he's like, I'll be your friend. Mm-hmm. And so it's these – there's these two sad lines that come out of Feck at this scene. The I'll be your friend thing could just be his like last-ditch effort to bring sanity back to John to just like – cool him out his story is a direct mirror of john's also where john's like i didn't feel anything right we're we're seeing this like he's explaining it and they're cutting to scenes of the two of them presumably from like right before the movie starts and they're on the river bank i guess i don't know and you know you see the arm the the hands go around her neck Mm -hmm. and on the other side of that you have feck story where we're not get it. We're not given a lot of detail, but there's a lot of heart in it. Really, it's great parallels. That flashback of the killing was was intense. I, I remember sitting there and thinking, like, okay, you can show John's face all you want, but every time you showed Jamie being choked, yeah, it was it was like revolting. And I guess Whitney, to your point of like that, I made at the very beginning about seeing her body. It's like that was. Obviously, very on purpose. Mm-hmm. We we still we if you haven't gotten it yet, we're gonna continue to hammer home <laughs> yep. that this guy's lost his shit, and um, you should be upset about it. Yeah, and he's just deadpan in that scene again. He's just no expression. An interesting editing thing they did here also is we're seeing this really violent act happen, and they're intercutting it with uh, a sex scene between Keanu and Clarissa's character. And it's not it's certainly not the first time that's ever been done, you know, these mm-hmm. parallels between sex and violence. But it really, I think that amplified the whole thing. Look what these two are doing over here together, not really caring while all of this was happening. It, yeah, it, it continues to tell us a lot about who these people are. Yep. And, and they mm-hmm. actually show a lot of different people sleeping, right? They show like almost every other character yeah. Kind of just chilling. Um, except these two. Except Tim and Feck and John. You know, like the people that are still awake. So, I mean, even Lane is like losing it, right? We see Lane kind of coming off of a pretty big speed trip and falling asleep at the wheel. Yep. And so the next morning, Keanu actually awakes to the sound of a gunshot. Uh, we get back to 
Fex House and Shitty Timmy. <laughs> Actually, it's his silent friend, isn't it? His silent friend uh, hits Feck with one of his nunchucks. Oh, my God. He does bring a... He, he successfully brings nunchucks to a gunfight. He does. <laughs> but Tim, there's like that terrible line from Tim where he's like, hit him again. And it's like, oh, man. So, you know, they knock out Feck uh, and they take his gun. Lane gets awoken by the police because, he, again, he fell asleep at the wheel. So he's like in the middle of an intersection. Then we jump back to Keanu and Clarissa awakening. Um, and there's a, a little bit of an exchange there we, where Keanu is just in like this romantic frame now. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of jokingly like, so I guess we should get married now and <laughs> saying all that stuff. Um, and then it kind of moves pretty quick from here, I'd say. You know, we're back at Keanu. Tim didn't come home, obviously. Mom is losing her mind again. Uh, and then Tim, shitty Tim, brings a gun to school. And I was like, oh, my God, where is this going? I hate this. <laughs> but they never go into the school, right? They just sit in this car that they that they stole. They stole Feck's car. Or were they still in Silent Kid's dad's Silent car? Silent Kid's dad's car. Okay. Yeah. It was funny. It. There was a scene of the two of them driving. I thought that was a really funny scene. To see <laughs> yeah, these two 12-year-olds in the front seat. I was like, wow. All I could that's... think of was like uh, Indiana Jones. You know, like <laughs> the, the little assistant kid trying to drive the cab around. <laughs> so we were back at the school. And, and you can see that Tim is like trying to find a way to go after Keanu. Yeah. Uh, he's like. He's watching him from a distance with his with his six shooter. Uh, and then a, a pretty funny scene pops up where the news is now at the school and they're interviewing uh, some of the kids, uh, some of the kids in the class that knew Jamie. And there's some pretty funny lines here where they're like, is that Tony that they're interviewing? I didn't remember his name. Yeah, it's two of the friends that are like lesser, you know, they're in the group, but we, you know, they don't have a lot of screen time. Up until now. Yeah, it really shocked me. I think killing is wrong. And what about all those people going to see the body afterwards? Yeah, that shocked me too. I think they should have arrested John. John? Well, he killed Jamie. You knew the killer? Yeah. You know, we, we both kind of knew the killer. You know, as well as, or um, in addition to, you know, who he killed too. <laughs> and, you know, because of that, it's, it's pretty hard for us to be... Um, Objective? Yeah, that's it, objective. You know, since we did know the two alleged people involved and everything, you know, and whereas we might be all, you know, upset this morning or something, you know, we're not because of the fact that we're not objective at all. I also play guitar, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. The best part of that was when he said, whereas. Uh Yeah, Uh there was another little moment of comedy just sprinkled in. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so uh we're back with lane who's now being interviewed or i should say interrogated and he's like begging for us for a call but what he, he doesn't he doesn't end up calling anyone who did you think that he was trying to call there i assumed it was either feck or like i assumed feck yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's out of everybody that we had that lane has encountered and hasn't like pissed off or pushed away in some regard feck seems like the only friend he has and that's a real tenuous friend also yep Yep, for sure okay and so then we're back in the same classroom with the same teacher we saw before and this teacher is like 
freaking out. He doesn't think that there's enough reaction from the classmates of Jamie about her death. He thinks everybody's just kind of shrugging it off. You know, the apathy piece, Andrea, you were hitting on before, is really obvious here. Are you upset, Clarissa? Are you? I mean, if you are, come on, let's get it off your chest. Oh, fuck you. Why don't you just leave her alone? No, fuck you, man. Because I don't buy it. You don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. Nobody in this classroom gives a damn that she's dead. It gives us a chance to feel superior and to point up a fundamental moral breakdown in society, but it doesn't really affect us, does it? Because if it did, none of us would be in this classroom right now. We'd be out on the street, half crazy from lack of sleep, hunting down Samson Tollett with a gun. I thought that was great. I thought it was really good. And I had a weird flashback to like Catholic high school of when he grabbed the front of the desk and slammed it on the on the ground. Yeah, that was the nerdy, the t the prototypical nerd's desk. He was yep. the guy who was making the the pronouncements. We should, you know, that violence is wrong. And the right. teacher's like, "You're full of shit, man." Yeah, that uh, that I I just thought that was a good. Uh, I don't know. It, it really kind of. Uh, if if you hadn't gotten it yet as the viewer, they were like, this is how you should also be feeling, how this teacher is feeling. Um, Whitney, to your point, you know, like looking, being a 30-something and watching teenagers, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back at, with, with Keanu, the friends are all together, they're talking about leaving again. Feck wakes up um, to a phone call from Lane. So, and and John is is gone. And then... Lane just like leaves in a hurry. So um, we get this idea that Feck has, you know, been out for a while because of those, because of shitty Timmy. Um, <laughs> is this, is this the scene where he, he gets arrested? Isn't that yeah. how, yeah, the cops come Feck and pick, get him. Gets arrested. Yep. Presumably because he left the house for the first time in 20 years mm -hmm. or something like that. So he was spotted. All because of these darn kids. Yeah. Youths. <laughs> and they're nunchucks. <laughs> Everybody's back down at the river now, all the friends. are back at the river. They find uh, the blow up doll, Ellie, from the night before. Yeah. And Lane shows up and he's just like, he's really, he's losing it. Lane is just like, can't figure anything out. Keanu and Lane get into it. And... Keanu finally like gets to a fever pitch where he's just like, uh, I did it. You know, he tells he tells Lane that he he was the narc and Lane's like, oh, my God, I got to go find John and ultimately does find John very dead. Yep. Shot in the head, uh, presumably by Feck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, when you guys heard that gunshot in the park, when Keanu awoke to that, did you think it was Feck killing John? Yes. I yeah, I hoped so much that that was the case as opposed to it being the opposite potentially well because i think they pretty well established that like even this insane hermit murderer has feelings and emotions and he realizes that john is a monster who doesn't feel anything yeah and i think that they made it pretty clear when he sort of broke down a little bit about the turmoil that that put him in but they had at least once before maybe twice shown feck um attempting Put, putting a gun to his head. Yeah. yeah. 
So for a second, I thought it could have been Feck killing himself like, oh, there's no hope for humanity or for me. Yeah, that's fair. And end it all. That's fair. That's not that's not where my mind went to, but I could see that being an assumption, too. Andrew, you said you were hopeful, but did you also think it could have been Feck killing himself? Yeah, the the feigning of the... I think for most of the movie, that the gun was actually empty. If, yeah. If, if I'm, yeah. So, yeah. you know, all those things, he could have been, you know, he was clearly kind of faking it. But yeah, I was like, oh, man, there's a 50-50 shot here. I hope that it's Feck taking care of John and not just offing himself. And we got that line just moments before where he's like, we're never supposed to get old. I'm like, oh, shit, is he, is he putting all these things together? I was like, mm-hmm. thankfully, right. it's John. So we get to another scary moment where shitty Timmy shows up with the gun. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I, I re- and so Tim holds it up to Keanu, you know, barrel first. And he's like, you ratted out, you know, John. And I really thought something was going to happen. I was nervous. I was really nervous. I was like, this mm-hmm. kid has shown nothing but disdain for everybody. The whole movie, really. <laughs> hmm. Like I said, from the very first scene, you realize that that kid is a psychopath. There's, by this point in the movie, there's literally nothing that I wouldn't believe him capable of. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm sitting there watching this scene. I'm like, can they really kill off Keanu? Like, does it make sense in the story? I'm trying to, like, put it together. Um, and, and luckily, Keanu ends up kind of talking him off the, off the edge there. And he's, he's just, um, you know, gets the gun from him. Um, but I was definitely pretty convinced there. And then they did a nice job of showing Lane in just complete ruin. It, it was awkward. I, I'm sure, Whitney, you have words for this. Like that rock scene. <laughs> Uh-huh. Where he like laid down on the rocks next to the river. Yeah, I Super actually don't awkward. have any words for it. It was like downward <laughs> facing don't. dog, but then he just kind of went full plank. Kind yeah. Of. yeah. <laughs> so I guess they gave him freedoms on that to just be like depict pain. At least I <laughs> hope that's how it went. But it was weird. Mm-hmm. I, I get what they were going for, like that that he's out of his mind with sadness. And so he's not really thinking about his body movements or anything like that. But I don't know. Uh, it, it was it didn't. Just, just one more s- sequence and then a series of over-the-top sequences with from him. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say it. That um, is kind of th- that reaction is kind of what, like, m- me as the viewer wanted for Jamie. Like, especially on the second rewatch, where I, I was like, th- "That is how they. Sh- that was the appropriate. Oh, like, yeah. anything is better than just being like, oh, wow.'" Cool, dead body, uh, right? Like, it. even I'll take this weird yoga thing that he does <laughs> face down on a rock over nothing. Yeah, yeah or if they're going to do that, at least have something in there around, like, her not being liked or not having any friends or something. But you're right. They, they just totally gloss over any remorse for Jamie's death. Yeah. That's an interesting point. But then the... So, Feck is in the hospital talking about how he killed that girl confessing to it if you will mm-hmm. uh john is carried out uh, you know by some by some authorities uh, for a split second in that scene i didn't realize that they were like authoritative figures and i was like <laughs> oh god now they're just hiding john's body <laughs> the, the group is just put doing the state like rolling him into the river terribly right, right. like he did yeah but then oh, you man. see like ties and it's like oh, okay they're official people and and uh Tim and Keanu are put in the car, but it's not really, it's not, 
you don't really get a vibe that they're being arrested. That's just like they're getting a ride from the police. At least that's how I kind of took it. They, I think they leave it a little ambiguous, but... Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't think that he was arrested. Like, that was not the impression that I got. But I think they kind of left it open-ended. Right. Um, and then we're at the funeral. Finally. Closing on a funeral. I didn't know in, in, initially if it was going to be John or Jamie in the casket. And that was probably on purpose. Mm-hmm. But um, it ends up being Jamie. And yeah. Andrew, you were saying that it kind of wrapped it up in a nice little box for you here. Because I guess because we're seeing Jamie as like made up and looking more alive. Yeah, we did. she finally gets the dignity that a doll got earlier in the movie. So she finally, at least they're able to say goodbye properly. And again, you're not really getting like too much of an emotional read from any of the characters that walk up. But, you know, at least kind of in a weird way justice has been served well there's at least acknowledgement now yes exactly so yeah that pretty much is how it ends so dark so dark really was that is one word to describe this movie (laughs) i think most people would say that it was dark yeah but i still liked it so can we talk a little bit more since everybody else is about lane yeah I think he's I think he's kind of the hero of this. Two heroes, really, Lane and weirdly Feck. Feck is the only person in this whole movie who actually does like a good thing. Like it's a bad thing, but he does a good act, really. And then Lane is someone who feels deeply, perhaps driven a little bit by the drugs, the speed that he's on. Mm-hmm. But at least he feels something. It's yeah. it's very misguided, but Well, and I think that's part of where Crispin lover's motivation came from of being so over the top is because I think he understood that about the character of like he's the only person who's going to feel anything in this story so like he's going to feel all the things which is why he was so emotive and so over the top in a way that rubbed me the wrong way but I think as an actor that was the choice that he was making to show no one here gives a shit about anything and can't feel feelings even if they want to. So I have hmm. to feel all of them for everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. I feel like if it was executed today, not I'm not saying that I want a remake of this movie at all. Please, nobody remake this movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie yeah. does not need another version. Do it. Someone no. remake it. Evan, <laughs> go stand in the corner. Um, <laughs> I, an actor today would certainly approach that in a in a different way. Yes. I, I think given all the tools that Crispin had at the time with the script in front of him, he performed admirably. I would, mm. I would, <laughs> I, I would love to see another approach, but I don't know if it, I just don't know how you would handle that otherwise. Like being this kind of way over the top presence all of the time to counteract all of these real bummer kind of people. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, like the first time I watched it, I was like, "This guy sucks." Like he was just, he's not good. <laughs> and then the second time, I was like, "I get it." To a degree now, at least. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if I had yeah. just watched it once, I'd be all in. I'd be like, this guy is the worst ever. I still think it was casted wrong. I don't know that it was cast wrong. He's got chops. He's a good actor. I just think that he made some choices that were very bold choices. And no one said, hey, maybe think about doing it a different way. It could be that same thing that applied to Dennis Hopper. Maybe if he, <laughs> maybe if he acted that way, but without that 
like weird vocal inflection or something like that. It, it would have been a completely different transformative role. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, Evan, do you ultimately recommend this film as something you'd want someone to watch? Yes. But again, not uh, not everyone. If you lean into this kind of murder, <laughs> if you're like a, this feels like something like a true crime fan. Obviously, this was like a true crime. But like if you are right. a person who leans into true crime nowadays, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if you're if you're into like a into dark thrillers, this is a pretty good example of it. Mm, okay. Whitney, how about you? Are you on board for recommending this to other people? No, I'm not. Okay. I don't think it was a bad movie. And if someone said, I was thinking about checking this out, should I? I, you know, would say go for it if you know know about it and are going to watch it. But for me, what it boils down to is I don't know why this movie was made. I don't feel like I was satisfied in... I don't need... In fact, I actually usually quite like movies without resolution. And this movie actually did have some resolution, but I don't... Like, like when I was like, explain what this movie is about in one sentence, and and Evan had a hard time. I think to me, that's exactly the problem with this movie is hmm. the the point of this movie is about disaffected youth. But there's no plot to it. There, I mean, there's a plot to the movie, but there's no moral to it. And they don't even explicitly say like, this movie is about disaffected youth, because it's so focused on a murder. That yeah. it's like, on the more true crime end of things. So I just feel like it feels like the the writer of this movie and the director of this movie had a point of view and something they were trying to say, but I don't get what it is other than the world is going to shit and no one cares about anything. And like, I already know that. I don't need to see that in a movie. <laughs> Even now, it's as true now as it was then, right? It feels yeah. very like old man shakes fist at cloud to me. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And so it it was not a bad movie. I think there were some very interesting performances turned in. I think Dennis Hopper did a good job. I think that it was the most engaging thing we've seen so far, for sure. Uh, and it was not bad. I just don't think I would recommend it to anyone because I don't think that I, I don't think I got anything out of it. Like the whole point of stories is to get something out of it, and I didn't get anything out of it. I don't think I'm any different now than I was before I watched it. I don't think it had a strong viewpoint kind of anything of like why this is bad or why th- or how to change it or what it was like before it was just like oh all these people are shitty <laughs> that sucks yeah Look at and how i'm like shitty yeah no they, they are. are shitty and it does suck but what is that that doesn't help me i need more than hmm. that so that's how i feel about it it was it was it was well made in a lot of areas but i feel like i didn't get anything out of it all right andrew you're up in the, what was that, maybe three minutes that Whitney was talking, she took me from like a nine to a seven on this movie. <laughs> oh, no. Because oh, I got, well, not no, not in a bad way. Like, I would still recommend it, but you are dead on about, there is no moral. Like, we don't get like, it would be really difficult to be like, hey, guys, you should, you know, feel stuff, right? Right. <laughs> but it's true that there's no indication that the people this movie is about go on to live better lives really so and they don't even show like a person who does feel things and is compassionate living a better life it's not even like there's any comparison in this movie of well at least this person knows better and is is living a better life and everyone does or does not move forward from here or anything yes so 
I think ultimately, with the caveat also, like if you're a person who's into true crime and stuff, I don't I don't dig on that really. But if if that is something that suits you, you would probably enjoy this film. I think it yeah it captures pretty well the feeling of that era of of what you had said. These mm-hmm. disaffected youth they, they make mention of Russia, so probably and near the end of the Cold War or mm-hmm. in it. I don't know. If you were if you lived through that time, you might take this. Uh, you might have some context that I'm missing here, but interesting, interesting nonetheless. I I was taken by it, but it's dark. It's super dark. So at this point in his career, two leading roles under his belt. How do we feel about Keanu as an actor? This is the first time where I feel like I've looked at him and gone, oh, I get it. I get why someone else hired him and was like, <laughs> this is the guy that I want. Yeah, yeah. We've, always, yeah. we've asked this question every time, and it's been like, can you see him being a huge, huge celebrity from this role? And the answer's always been no until this one. And I was like, I can kind of see it with this one. I think he did a good job. I think his very low-key style of acting brought a lot to this movie and that there's so many people who are big personalities and crazy and him being sort of like you saw the whole thing at the doll funeral of like him deciding to turn him in and and the whole thing i think that there was some pathos there that i was not expecting yeah um and i think this is the first time where i've been like oh this is where his career started absolutely ev are you in agreement with that yeah i think so i think this was a, a lot more than the last one kind of where we started to see him take more ownership of a role and and kind of uh, maybe even play with the role a little bit. And, and I, you know, that's, I think that's a good sign of somebody that's going to be becoming more and more prevalent in, in, in movies. But yeah, I think, I think we're well on our way to with over the, probably over the next, like um, over the next five movies, I think I'll probably be in a place where I feel like 100%. he's there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to see it in this as well. I think the moments when they give him moments of quiet, those are weirdly the times where I'm like, Oh, there it is. Like the funeral thing, for instance, and a couple of the other moments where he's just listening to the the friends, like when they were standing around the body, the first time his, his body language and stuff. I'm like, Oh, there's nothing's really being said, but he's conveying a lot. And yeah. I, I yeah. was like this. Okay. I'm seeing it now, so it's happening. This is the first time where I feel like there was inner dialogue that we didn't get to see. Like everything else that he's done so far, there's been it's all been surfacey, and this there was more stuff going on inside. Hmm. Yeah, it feels it definitely felt meatier, and that could be a result of having more to work with, either from maybe the director or the script, where like, okay, you have a terrible home life, you kind of hate your brother, your little sister means a lot to you, your mm-hmm. friends are all. <laughs> Not terrible people, but not terribly good people either. So that's pretty cool. At this point, I want to ask you, both of you, Mm -hmm. if I if I said, give me your rankings of every Keanu movie ever, that would be a Herculean task. But right now we only have five. Can you rate from best to worst the movies we've watched so far? Mm. And to give you time to think. I will go first because you had no idea this was coming. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is a surprise. In order for me, from best to worst, I would go Brotherhood of Justice, River's Edge, Young Blood, Flying, 
one step away. I feel like for me so far, that's where I am with Keanu. I'm going to take your exact same ranking. Sorry to be lame, but... Unbelievable. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to switch River's Edge and Brotherhood of Justice. So River's Edge number one for you. Yeah. And then okay. Brotherhood of Justice, then Young Blood, Young Blood then Flying, Flying, then then One Step Away. Okay. Okay. I think they have gone... I think the ranking is chronological for me. What? Yep. One Step Away is number one? No, other, in the other direction. <laughs> oh. River's Edge is the best thing we've seen so far. Got I think it. it's gotten okay. incrementally better with everything that we have we have watched. Woo! That was a close yeah. one. Oh, no, my no, God. No, 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 yeah. no. Not one step away the best. No, River's Edge the best. Then Brotherhood of Justice, then Flying, then flying Youngblood, blood. then One Step Away at the bottom. All right. Yeah, so we can all agree that One Step Away is... It's the worst thing we've seen, yes. <laughs> It'll probably stay at the bottom. Yeah, I, I, I hope it stays at the bottom. I, I, it cannot get worse from here. If he had something worse than One Step Away, it would have ended his career. Yeah, Interesting. Okay, good to know. Well, I mean, like you said in the beginning, he has had some yeah, I mean, there's... rough movies. <laughs> yeah, he has. He definitely has. We, we shall see. Uh, next week, we are talking about The Night Before. Have either of you seen this before? It is labeled as not. a comedy, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. No, I have not. Winston Connolly wakes up in the middle of the night in an alley with no idea how he got there. Love it. I love it already. Mm-hmm. That's just the first line of the synopsis. So Keanu in a comedy. It's the first of quite a few comedies we're going to see him in in mm-hmm. the future. So could be cool. Could be cool. Don't they find a museum where all the things inside are coming to life? <laughs> mm, I see what you did uh. there. <laughs> and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it also has Lori Laughlin, by the way. Get out, oh. really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a high school nerd, Keanu Reeves, groggily recalls how he and his prom date, Lori Laughlin, wound up in the bad part of town. <laughs> well, I'm definitely in. Yeah, she was in Tommy Boy. <laughs> That's not true. That is not true. <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. You can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, list of films we're reviewing, and much, much more. You can reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please throw a subscription our way or a five-star review would be wonderful of you. We'll be back next week. But until then, Whitney, where can we keep up with you on the internet? Uh, I'll keep it short this week. I am at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N on Twitter. And I am in a bunch of other podcasts that you should definitely check out, but I will tweet about them. And so, uh, yeah, I'll just keep it short and sweet. Whitney Nelson on Twitter. Evan. Where can we find you on the internet? I'll keep this short as well. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and don't follow me on Twitter. Good. Do you want to give your Instagram name or just let people? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> it's Evan Acree. A-C-R-E-E. I'll keep it short as well. I am at Dark Driving. Just follow me on Twitter. That'll be the easiest way to get to all the other things I'm doing. Thank you all for joining us in this episode. In the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Party on, dudes.